You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Happy Tuesday. Welcome in to Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sensing, Union Home Mortgage. It's Lars, Matt, Justin, the gang is all here. Got a good show lined up for you. Um, Lars is uh, online with us as we speak right now. And it seems like every day uh, I say something about the weather. And my daughter texted something last night and said, why do people keep doing that? We all know it's hot. Well, today I bring it up. And th- there's a lot of truth to that. But yet here I am. And James Fan just gave us the weather very accurately, I might add. But it's going to get up to right around 90 degrees today, not quite as hot and humid as it was yesterday. But I actually have a point here, Lars, because I was reading a story uh, from AL.com just uh, a little while ago, Matt Stahl, talking about how hot it is in Tuscaloosa, but it's generally, you know, in the south, it's hot. And I just think back, Lars, being in full pads... Uh, and being J.C. Latham is one of the quotes that we have in this particular story. And, you know, he's 6'6", 335. This is a huge man. And I know it's also hot for smaller guys, but the big guys, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's, is it safe to say Lars is probably harder on bigger guys? I think that's true, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But, uh, and uh, it's, just, it's amazing. You know, that, what did, what did Latham say here? He said he eats two to three times before practice. He also, by the way, they all say they hydrate. And, and I get that and I understand. But eating meals before going out there, I'm not real sure unless it's fruit or something like that. But these guys are going to be in such great shape. Of course, they already are. And, Lars, I'm, I'm going to let you, you kind of, I'm going to hand the ball off to you. Uh, because strength and conditioning. That has been backbone of what Alabama's done since Nick Saban arrived on campus, and never more so than right now. And how about Texas at Alabama? I mean, remember last year how hot it was at Texas? It's just, I, I marvel at what great physical shape these people are. Yeah, and you're right. It's much more physically taxing on the big guys. And uh, I think, you know, the the way that trainers and coaches approach practices, I think changed a little bit after the death of Corey Stringer, uh, the former offensive lineman, All-American at Ohio State, who uh, uh, was then picked by the Minnesota Vikings and, and passed away from heat stroke, uh, you know, like 15 years ago or so. I don't have the exact date in front of me, but um, I, I just know that everyone is very careful uh, about monitoring, you know, the just the, the body temperatures of everyone. And again, the hydration, uh, not pushing uh, players to the point of utter exhaustion and, and puking. And, you know, I, I know that that still happens like during off-season conditioning where you're doing it inside uh, where, you know, there'll be trash cans set up and, and, uh, and the coaches will just, you know, run you ragged. But, um, you know, it would be interesting. We can talk to uh, – we have Matt Finkus – 
former Ohio State uh, linebacker, All-American uh, defensive end, excuse me, uh, who was friends with Corey Stringer. And Matt is going to join us at 12.15 here just in a few minutes. And uh, also want to get Matt uh, Matt's analysis of, of Ohio State. Uh, how Ohio State is progressing through the uh, through uh, fall camp, uh, what the quarterback situation is there, and also just uh, what's going on with Jim Harbaugh and some other questions just about the Big Ten because Matt now is a, a member of the media and he and I have been good friends for a long time. He was a member of the Scottish Claymores. He moved a linebacker when he played in NFL Europe and he was on that NFL Europe team that I wrote a book on and, and Matt was just... Uh, the most colorful character to put it i'll put it that way on the team and uh we spoke about pubs yesterday and and matt and i got to know a few pubs over in glasgow scotland and all throughout europe um and then uh our other guests that we have lined up for right now and hopefully we'll, we may add another one but uh john carvello at uh, 105 and john also a good friend of mine. He's a, a professor at Auburn or former professor, recently retired, but he's still doing some teaching. And um, John is, is uh, like myself, he taught sports journalism. And uh, I want to talk to him about, again, the origins of Tumor's Corner, right? Uh, I find that an utterly fascinating topic, but also just want to get John's insight on 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 the college football realignment and where we're going and and uh, how this has all happened uh, and John uh, really brings a sort of academic uh, perspective obviously uh, to all the issues that are percolating in college football today so Matt we have a, a real uh, great show lined up and and yes it is actually cooler outside and uh, you know the, the 15 construction workers the power company workers who were in my yard yesterday they're still there but they are uh, really not 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 as uh, sweat soaked as, as yesterday when I, I took yesterday. them a bunch of Gatorades it was just ridiculous. Yesterday was just, yeah, it was just brutal. Yesterday was brutal. We were standing in the parking lot of Baumhauer's, and I, walking from my car to inside, I broke a sweat. It was just, <laughs> yesterday was like 114 heat index, something like that. Uh, today, our heat index will probably not hit 100. Oh, boy. But I um, was going to ask you about the pubs real quick. Don't want to go long as we did yesterday. Do the pubs that you went to... Um, and the BK, I guess that's all Ireland, Scotland, and so forth. Um, did uh, did they also serve a lot of food, like some Irish foods, of uh, Scottish food? Did you eat any uh, goat's intestines? What's that? Called? <laughs> uh, it's called haggis. Yeah. Uh, I never had haggis. Yeah, that uh, it, it just uh, I I couldn't do it. Um, so that I recall, I don't recall a lot of eating. I mean, really, most of the pubs that uh, we frequented were all about one thing, and that was drinking <laughs> and, and really having a great time. I, I, after every Claymore's game, win or lose, uh, the team and you know I would follow along because of course I had to do my job right. Uh, we all would we all would go, we would all go to uh, Did you put one. Put all that on your expense report. Yeah. Oh, hell, well, of course. Yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> one of the Martin. things that you learn to master. Quickly. Oh yeah. Uh, 
Yes, yes. Uh, and, and those were the days when everyone had huge expense budgets for you. But uh, yeah, you know, I'd buy rounds for the entire the entire joint. But no, there was one particular place that we went to, um, and uh, uh, it was just so fun because it was a it was a piano bar. It was so big, and just remember, uh, just you know. Uh, different guys getting up and singing and just the entire crowd of the bar, you know, maybe like 70 to 100 people, everyone sort of engaged and and singing along. And uh, it reminded me a little bit, what is that, uh, O'Brien's in in New Orleans that has the dueling pianos? They have the dueling pianos. No, I don't think that's Pat O'Brien. That's not about I, Pat I O'Brien. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, the dueling pianos. Um, it's just, it was so fun. And, you know, all of us were young and uh, just in, in thoroughly enjoying ourselves. And it just, uh, it, it, the the pubs in London and or in really all throughout England and Scotland, again, it just has this communal feel. And you could just walk in by yourself and within minutes you're going to be engaged in conversations with so many other people. And it's, and you know, when once you are done with work, everyone would go to the pub. I mean, it's just a, it's just a way of life. Uh, it's a cultural difference between uh, the Scots and the, the Brits and then with the Americans. And uh, I highly recommend uh, just, uh, just soaking in the atmosphere, right? If you just even want to, uh, you know, have a non-alcoholic drink, uh, just go in and, and, and check it out. But a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And uh, look forward to uh, talking to Matt here, who uh, always was the ringleader, uh, just in, in, a, in a few minutes. Yeah, we'll bring him on. And in the meantime, I guess we're all just kind of, I don't want to say pins and needles, but everybody's kind of waiting to see what Florida State does today, right, Lars? What, what, what is their call today? What will th- we find out? Well, so today is the deadline for Florida State to uh, to alert the uh, ACC officials of whether or not they are going to leave the conference within a year. And I am guessing that they are going to stay, but that is just a guess. We'll uh, we'll just be sort of watching. You know, watching the, the old AP wire, uh, as it was known back in the day, uh, to see, yeah, the ticker to see uh, to see if anything develops uh, out of Tallahassee uh, this afternoon. And we'll let you know as soon as it happens. You're listening to Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. 
Call Haley on her cell. Yes, her cell. 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Hey, this is Reagan, owner of r Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa. Located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home 2 Suites. Come down to r and and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world-class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Just a small chance of a shower this afternoon, otherwise the sky partially sunny. Not as hot as recent days, the high 89. For tonight, clear and very pleasant, the low 64. And tomorrow, a sunny day, not as humid, the high at 88. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 83 degrees in Tuscaloosa. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Back on the show, talking college football and all right here on Big Noon Sports. Lauren? Yeah, joining us now is uh, my friend Matt Finkus, uh, who was an All-American defensive end at Ohio State and uh, roommates with Matt Vrabel and uh, Luke Fickle and uh, also played in the NFL and uh, and then in NFL Europe where yours truly uh, spent a lot of time with Matt. Matt, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing good, fellas. How about you? Hey, we're doing great. Doing great. Looking forward to uh, to kickoff here of the college football season, getting closer and closer. Can you just give us an update on Ohio State and uh, the, the quarterback situation and just the, the general outlook? Uh, and this is before we get to Michigan. I'm going to give you your chance <laughs> to uh, kick Harbaugh a little bit. So uh, just, uh, yeah, your overall assessment of Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was out of practice yesterday. Um, you know, the, the the team looks really good. I mean, they're they're you know getting towards the end of camp, which can always be a grind. But man, tons of energy. I think Ryan does a great job of uh, of you know just the way he conducts practice, the way he can conduct camps, and, and making sure everyone is uh, is getting the reps and staying healthy and everything and learning the system. Um, it, it's definitely a different team. You know, I mean, it, it's a different team. There was a lot of exodus last year when you're talking about quarterback position um obviously some wide receivers even though i think we got the best player in the country back again this year and marvis and harrison jr um you know running backs that were still banged up towards the end of last year where we were down to i think our third and fourth team running backs all those guys you know back healthy when you talk about travion henderson mayan williams uh and the guys that, that filled in last year and prior and and Dallin hayden um you know, the offensive line is, is still coming together, and, and I think that there's a lot of competition still going on at the right and left tackle spots between four guys. Uh, defense, I think, looks really improved as well. You know, a lot of guys back, a lot of experience, second year under Jim Knowles. And I think if, if you look at Knowles, like he's really learned a little bit about what it's going to take to coach at an elite level. You know, coming from Oklahoma State, you come from there to Ohio State, and I think there was, there was some, obviously some times last year where there were some calls that, um, you know, you just don't make it in championship level football that, that I think he's going to look at and learn from. So um, all in all, there, yeah, there, there's still a little indecision at the quarterback spot that I find pretty interesting. Watch both those guys yesterday. 
and and it is. It's you know I agree with Ryan. It's really hard to tell the difference between those two guys. You know, one of them isn't just, and it's not that one of them is uh, it, that neither of them are not doing well. It's like no one is really making mistakes. You know, the consistency is there, and and uh, and, and there's not anyone who's really losing the position, so to speak. So um, I think Ryan's going to have a tough decision on his hand. I will say, I think you know when you look at the at the scenario though just trajectory wise you had Kyle McCord who was kind of the heir apparent all this time and then Devin Brown with the injury in the spring not able to compete the fact that he's kind of right there with McCord as a second year guy as opposed to a third year guy I mean he might be on a little bit of a trend upward we might be seeing uh, Devin Brown this year as a starting quarterback Matt you know I'm a big fan of Ryan Day um what sort of just a progression slash evolution have you seen in his coaching style his his management of players uh and how involved he is in the game plan and also is the is he under a little bit of heat because he's lost to Michigan two years in a row no He's not. I mean, the fan base. Yes. I mean, you can be under heat from the fan base all you want, yeah. but you're not going to be under heat when you when you've lost. I think what is it? Four games in the last three years. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, that's that's not a recipe where you're like, let's go find a new guy uh, when you've got a ninety some percent winning percentage, um, and and you know the games that you're losing are to playoff caliber football teams. So, um, is he frustrated? Is he you know with the situation with the team up north? Absolutely. Um, are we as a fan base? Absolutely. Uh, I can tell you that, that he is definitely, it's a priority and he's addressing things. And, you know, the one thing about Ryan is he's a sponge for information. You know, he talked about, you know, you know, he regularly talks to urban, but talked about really going back and talking to coach Trestle a lot this past year and, and just trying to get, you know, information of how you, how you coach and compete in this rivalry. Because I mean, yes, while it doesn't, I mean, my coach, John Cooper, had a horrible record against Michigan coach here for 11 years because he won almost every other game that we played in. Um, so you're going to get some latitude with that, but that doesn't want to, Ryan does not want that to be his, you know, his trademark here in Columbus, Ohio. So I think when you look at, at the way he goes about uh, coaching, the, the guys that he's bringing in, you know, the, the talent level of the coaching staff, both of the guys that he's retaining and the guys that he's bringing in, you know, Brian Hurtline is going to be an absolute star as a coach, whether it be in his eventual tra- trajectory as a head coach, uh, you know, in college or the NFL somewhere, uh, you know, Brian has the, the, you know, the mindset, the skill set, I think, to, to really be exceptional at this. And he's going to get his chance this year with the offensive coordinator play calling role. Um, you know, I'm sure Ryan is going to be able to help him out there because he was a great play caller when he was the offensive coordinator. So, um, you know, I think a lot of the positive things with, with, with Ryan and the way that he conducts this team and moving forward. And, um, you know, while he doesn't, I don't think, you know, I mean, even though Gene's retiring next year, Gene Smith is our athletic director. Uh, you know, I mean, I know Ryan knows that he's doing a good job, but as a coach in the rivalry game, you, you I mean, that, that's everything here. So uh, I know he's putting a lot of pressure on himself, on his staff, on his team to, you know, fix those things that, that went wrong last year and to get back in the winning column against those guys. 
you know, Matt and I, as we've been exam, excuse me, examining the coaches poll and then the uh, AP writers poll, um, it, for some reason we just think Ohio State should be ahead of Michigan, uh, and it's, I think it's because we just believe that overall there's more talent there. But no, it's still. because we don't like Harbaugh. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, yeah, he's a unique character. Not many and, people and, do. That's the thing. And, and, Not many people so, do so like Jim. So, okay, can you explain what's going on with Harbaugh and the NCAA? Like, I thought that the four-game suspension had been agreed upon and it was going to be a done deal. And be uh, This was going back to uh, recruiting violations that Harbaugh had, had uh, made uh, or his staff had. Um, and it was just supposed to be rubber-stamped by the Committee of Infractions. But then, boom, uh, the Committee of Infractions says, uh, hold on, we don't agree with this. And so now this gets uh, kicked down to 2024 four where you would think that uh, these level two recruiting violations again by Harbaugh and his staff could cause him to be suspended for more than four games do you think there's a possibility that this is Harbaugh's last season in uh, Ann Arbor and that uh, he may move on to the NFL after this just so he doesn't have to deal with this looming uh, NCAA penalty that's coming um, well a couple things who knew the NCA was still a thing, right? I mean, right. who knew that they <laughs> yeah. actually still had, uh, you know, powers to su- suspend anyone or to do anything with NIL and everything else? Um, you know, and again, secondary violations. I don't know what's going on with all that, but, you know, so, a lot of things don't add up. I mean, as you guys pointed out, there's, you know, these are normally things that just get wiped under the rug with a list of other things. And the NCA is like, oh, yeah, I mean, you know, you gave that kid a cheeseburger. Don't do that again. But, you know, they're not major infractions of what's going on. And with the current landscape of college football, I can't imagine anything being a recruiting violation anymore. Um, even though, you know, there are things that are technically illegal, but, you know, a lot of tons and tons of schools are getting around them in the NIL space. Um, Jim Harbaugh is not going back to the NFL. The NFL doesn't want Jim Harbaugh. So <laughs> that's going to be a problem for him if he thinks that's the path out of there. I don't think Jim wants to go back in a record in a, in a, coordinator or position coach role at the NFL and no one is hiring him as a head coach. Um, the the things that he kind of left in his wake there um, and, and the style of coaching, which he hasn't changed. I mean, it works at the college level a little bit because you can have a little bit more power and control over guys. But, um, you know, I don't know that there's a necessary landing spot for Jim if he wants to leave. I mean, he's been successful these last couple of years. But, I mean, like, I, I think that you've also been I mean, – these were his years that, I mean, if, if you can't win with, you know, fourth and fifth year guys that were five-star recruits that you've been developing over five years, I mean, I think everyone was waiting for Jim Harbaugh to have a season like he's had the last two years. And now he finally has. Now a lot of those guys are graduated. You know, granted, they've got the running backs back. And, you know, I mean, I guess J.J. McCarthy, but tons of off their defense. And, and it'll be interesting to see how they reload this year because they've not been very successful in the past with the developing of young talent, you know, it's been, man, these guys have to get to their fourth and fifth year, even though they're coming in as these high level recruits to, to really be able to be successful. So um, I, I don't put much stock in polls, very, especially before anyone's ever taken a snap of football. Um, you got a lot of things left to be played and a lot of, a lot of games and, and a lot of things that can happen during the course of the season. 
Um, you know, I don't know what that team up north is, is going to look like this year. Again, a lot of changes, much like Ohio State. I mean, every college football team goes through that. I mean, you know, Alabama's going through that. You know, who's the quarterback and, you know, where are you going to go with, you know, with, with different positions? So um, it'll be interesting because that's been Harbaugh's thing. He's been able to come in, kind of rebuild to a point, have some success, but never be able to really get it over the top. And then it starts to go downhill really fast after. If you look at San Diego State, Stanford, NFL, the pattern is there. And he's just, he's in that upswing of the cycle. Can he break that cycle is the big question for him as far as coaching goes. Because this is where he's been at it. Every other institution that he coaches, taking a mediocre squad, building them up to a certain point, not being able to give over the hump, and then dissension starts to come in the ranks and, and it all falls apart on him. So these are some crucial years for, for Jim to, to see if he can break that cycle that he's had the last you know four or five positions he's, he's held. Ohio State's Matt Fink is, is our guest on Big Noon Sports. Uh, okay, here comes the loaded. Here's the big boy, the big question. How how do things stand with the Big Ten now? Do you see them expanding even more? And to follow that up, is there a ceiling on how many members there'll be in that conference? You know, that's a great question. And, and um, I can kind of see this being a, probably the end of expansion. I don't know if there's any other teams out there that they would want to expand into. Um, you know, I, I think that's going to end up the, you know, the four major conferences. The Pac-12 is dead. Um and it's not for lack of tradition or excellence. It's a lack of a TV deal. Um, and, you know, and that's, that's basically what sunk that entire conference is not having a TV deal signed and ready with exit fees and all those other things and, and a market. So um, the Big Ten, the, the, the Big 12, I can see the ACC adding a few more teams. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I think it makes sense for Notre Dame to eventually join the ACC. Does it make sense for them? geographically to join the Big Ten and with, uh, you know, traditional games and that kind of thing, especially now that USC is in there? Absolutely. Do they want to be the fourth, fifth, sixth best team in a conference? Probably not. So you're better off joining the ACC where you can probably compete for a championship or be one of the top two, three teams right away. Um, So I think that there's still a little bit more realignment to happen within the conferences, although I I can see, especially with the 12-team playoff, these conferences kind of the way they are and maybe those remaining Pac-12 teams slide slide into the Big 12 I can see things kind of holding as they look right now building this 12 team playoff and what I would like and I think what would be great for fans is to try to start to get some just conference and interconference play going back and forth with these power conferences you know would love to see college football now that you've expanded the playoffs go to you know what what basketball does with the Big Ten ACC Challenge. I mean, how great would it be to have, you know, one game on the, on the season every year be a Big Ten SEC Challenge where you take one and one, two and two, three and three in those conferences, and they play a game every year in September, October. Um, so I, I think this, while, yeah, it gets rid of a lot of traditions, I think it provides a lot of opportunity for some great football for fans. Matt, we have uh, several more topics we'd love to discuss with you. Can you hang on with us through the break and uh, and chill and, and and talk with us for about ten more minutes? Yeah, man, I got you guys. All right, awesome. Yeah, we need to ask you about pubs too. So all that is coming up on Big Noon Sports. Oh yeah, I would be surprised if he did. Um, I, I think that you know he 
he accomplished what he wanted to accomplish in, in college. I think that the the grind, um, you know, I, I shouldn't say I think I know the grind really got to him at a point. I mean, you know, when you're when you're push as hard as I, I think it was really hard for Urban to find that balance and of the kind of the work-life balance that a lot of coaches obviously struggle with, and that was especially hard for him, kind of given his personality and drive. And I think, you know, for health reasons and family re- reasons and everything, you know, and being as accomplished he was, he was able to, to step away from it. And uh, I think the itch to, to see what he would be able to do in the NFL um, got to him. You know, he, t- he took that shot. Uh, I think there are a lot of us that, that wondered whether the coaching style was going to be able to make that transition and obviously, you know, had some issues with that. Um, I don't see him going back to I think he really enjoys doing what he's doing with uh, with Fox and the broadcasting. You know, he's obviously really good at it. And I, I think that that's kind of where he's at now in life. I mean, obviously being, you know, like I said, he's a grandpa now and he's kind of settled down a little bit and, and uh, just spending time with family and then and, and doing the, uh, the broadcasting thing. Matt, w- one of your uh, really close friends is Luke Fickle who uh, went from head coach of Cincinnati, now the head coach of Wisconsin. I wish Nebraska would have hired him, really do. But uh, what do you think, uh, how do you think things are going with Luke? I know you talk to him all the time. Uh, And what are your expectations for Wisconsin? And is the Wisconsin offense going to look different? We're just so used to, you know, uh, it's not necessarily three yards in a cloud of dust because they normally gain like eight yards of carry. But uh, is the the offense going to look a little different under uh, Luke Fickle's regime? Yeah, I mean, it it will definitely look different. I mean, I think that when you look at Wisconsin, they were Barry Alvarez and then Barry Alvarez coached disciple for, you know, 40 years. Um, So so that's what Wisconsin was. So I think, you know, offensive innovation is something that Luke's going to bring to the table. Defensive toughness, which Wisconsin has always had. uh, I I think he's going to be able to add and expound on that as well with, with his style and what he's able to do as a defensive play caller and defensive instructor. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think that, you know, Lucas absolutely realizes, you know, what it takes to win in the big Ten. I mean, you know, he spent 11 years here at Ohio state. Uh, he knows what it takes to win. He knows what it takes to win national championships. He knows what it takes to win big 10 titles. He knows what it takes to win all those things. Um, and I think he believes that, that he's in a position now to be able to, to build a program to do those things. You know, Wisconsin has a has much like Nebraska has you know that farm field based system of, of just producing big offensive linemen that are athletic and can get the job done. Uh, you know if Luke can can continue to recruit in Ohio um, and, and get these guys that you know is, oh, with Ohio State doing the the national recruiting thing that leaves a lot of doors open. That's the, one of the main reasons he was so successful in Cincinnati was convincing you know, upper three-star, four-star guys that didn't get an offer from Ohio State to come to Cincinnati to play there instead of going to, you know, a Notre Dame or going to, uh, you know, a team up north or going to a Penn State. And I think he'll be able to continue to do that at Wisconsin. And I think that'll be the game changer because if you look back at Wisconsin, historically, they've had the big offensive line. They've had the, you know, the big powerful running backs and really good running backs. If you can get a quarterback, a couple quarterbacks in that system, and, and you know, just like he did with Desmond Ritter and, and some wide receivers on the outside, some, some dynamic tight ends, 
with the defense that they put on the field on a regular basis, that's a game changer, especially, you know, obviously we don't know how the conferences are going to realign or if there's not going to, or if there's not going to be a realignment, but um, that's a game changer for, for a team like Wisconsin that was very one dimensional for a long, long time. If Luke can bring another dimension to that offensive side of the football and stay consistent on the defensive side, that is an absolute game changer for, for the Badgers. Matt, a real mess in Chicago at Northwestern, and we could probably do two hours on this, but can you just kind of give us your view on that and moving forward? And by the way, you took Skip Holtz from the USFL Birmingham Stallions. I say you. Uh, <laughs> Northwestern, the Wildcats did. I thought that was an interesting move because he's just going to turn around and come back here and coach the Stallions again, maybe to a third championship. But just real quick, yeah. your take on Northwestern. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's one of those things where, you know, it, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell kind of what's going on, what the facts are. I mean, it's, it's a lot of allegations. It, you know, it seemed like they had, uh, and, and, you know, I haven't delved really deep into the weeds on it, but it seemed like they had an investigation. You know, everyone kind of agreed that Pat didn't know about it. And then all of a sudden, you know, two days later, he's fired. And you got to wonder, you know, how much pressure from outside sources or donor sources or whatever it was uh, to get Pat out of there. I mean, I've known Pat since I played against him in college. I've never known him to be anything but a great guy and an honorable man. So, you know, I mean, granted, I don't know everything about him. We don't stay in touch. But um, it's one of those things where, um, you know, it's a program that, that I think, you know, one of these allegations, it really just seemed to snowball on him and really take it to a next level. And I don't know where they're going to go. Because that's not a destination job. Uh, you know, that's not a, a job that people are lining up to take. You know, I think you had Pat there as, a, as an alumni who really cared about the program and the school and, uh, you know, probably had some opportunities to go different places but ended up staying there. Um, so, it, it, you know, that this will be a real um, this will be a real turning point for, for Northwestern football. And then I, I think some other programs are, are now caught up into this uh, scandal a little bit as well. I think I heard something about the baseball team having a couple players suspended. But, um but it's going to be a real turning point to see how this program realigns, reassesses itself, and, and you know where they're where they're going to go to find a new coach and and bring a culture in that uh, that is acceptable to them. Matt, when you were playing um, college, it was pervasive. How pervasive was hazing? I'm not just saying at Ohio State, but from what you you know, all you guys know each other, right? Uh, yeah. When you're and, and you talk and you know what's going on at other schools, was it was it a serious thing or is it just uh, is it gotten worse? Is it are we too sensitive now? I mean, what is your, your just uh, take on the issue of hazing? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, anytime anyone's in danger, it's a problem. And, um, you know, I, I look back at both, you know, college and NFL, and there's rites of passage in both levels. Um, and it can be, you know, a, a very wide range of things from, like you said, from Ohio State to Wisconsin to, to you know, to other schools. And, and everyone kind of had their own little tradition and, and what they did and, and how they interacted. Um, you know, I, I can speak for myself that I never was part of anything that was ever dangerous um, or, you know, anything that, that was really, um, you know, any kind of a racial implication or any kind of those things at any level, whether I was Ohio State or in the NFL at any time. Um, you know, I don't know the specifics of what's kind of been going on today, but, I mean, obviously the world has changed quite a bit, and, it's, I mean, it seems like you really can't do anything. And, and that, that's not to say that that's good or bad in a certain way, but you just got to know the know the world that you're living in now. Um, you know, I look back at the things that happened at, 
you know, in, in college with the NFL. And I mean, I didn't think anything of it. I don't think anything that I was anybody who I was there with thought anything of it. But you know, if you look at that through the wind through the lens of 25 years later, are, are people going to get offended by it in today's society? Probably so. Um, so I think it's it's one of those things where I don't think you can look back at what happened 20 years ago through the lens of what our you know social acceptance levels are today and, and judge things. But I mean, at the end of the day, again, I think that, you know, there was a lot of us that were, you know, that went through these processes, but nothing was ever dangerous to the point of, the, of causing concern. So I think that was always just the main point that, you know, it's, it's, it's supposed to be kind of lighthearted. It's supposed to be at the end of the day about building camaraderie and team and, and, and things like that. And as long as you're, you're going at it from that angle, you know, I think that you're okay. When, once you start crossing the line into things being unsafe and things being degrading, I think that's where you really, really start to uh, to, to cross a Rubicon. Matt, moving to the NFL, um, there's sort of a, a debate going on right now, and it's been ongoing for years. Do you play a rookie quarterback in week one right away, just throw him out there, or do you let him sit? Um, and, you know, we saw in preseason week one, granted it's preseason, and uh, we saw the C.J. Stroud struggled a little bit. Uh, Anthony Richardson struggled a little bit. Uh, Bryce Young, uh, he was kind of, you know, so-so. Um, what, 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 what would you do? I mean, you, you've been in there. You've seen, you, you've been in the locker rooms. You've been on the field. Uh, you've gone against rookie quarterbacks. Uh, what, if you were the coach, what would you do? I, I assume it's a case by case situation, but in, generally speaking, you know, I think that, that my answer today is different than my answer would have been five years ago or ten years ago. Five years ago, ten years ago, you don't start a rookie quarterback. You start a rookie quarterback, you're asking for trouble. There's just no way that they're ready for that speed and the physicality of the game. Today's game, where so much has been taken uh, the physical part out of a rookie quarterback or out of the quarterback position in general, I think that it's allowed more opportunity for these guys to come in and adjust to the speed, adjust to the timing. It's not going to be week one, but I think that you've seen, you know, you go to Justin Fields, um, you go to Brock Purdy last year, and while they may have rough starts, you know, they're able to adjust to the speed, to the tighter windows, to, you know, how the defenses are, are showing and reacting to them. Um, I think that they're able to, to, to adjust to those things. And, I mean, don't discount, and I think that a lot of people do, and I think this is the biggest issue, don't discount a rookie quarterback getting hit by, a, a you know, a Ray Lewis or, you know, a third-year linebacker or a fourth-year linebacker on a blitz or, you know, a, an all-star defensive end coming up the corner and blindsiding a quarterback with a good hit. I mean, that's what really affected quarterbacks. Pressure. You know, physicality, that, that affects quarterbacks than more than any other disguise a defensive coordinator or a safety can put on them. You hit a, a quarterback, it affects them more than anything else that you do. And that, for a lot of portions, has been taken out of the game. So I think that it allows these rookie quarterbacks or young quarterbacks or quarterbacks in general more of a chance to develop because you've taken one of their major concerns kind of out of the back of their head. They're not worried about, you know, getting hit on a blitz as bad or getting, you know, blindsided on the backside. I mean, you see some of these guys, half the time they just wrap them up and lay them down. 
I mean, that's not exaggeration. They don't hit them because they could get in trouble if they land on top of them. They literally hug them and then put them on the ground, and that's a sack. If I'm a quarterback, I'm not. I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about it getting hit like that. I'm not worried about fumbling the ball. I'm not. I would rather that happen to me than try to force the ball out early if I'm feeling pressure and 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 you know make that mistake. So I think the game has changed in a way that it's allowing rookie quarterbacks or young quarterbacks to be able to compete faster. Wow, that is a that is a really on point observation. All right, before we let you go, uh, what was the name of your favorite pub you would go to in Scotland with Lars, and did you ever eat haggis? <laughs> I did try haggis, and the pub we would go to was called Genty McGinty's, and Lars, I don't know if you saw this on Facebook or not, but uh, Willie was over. Willie Tate was over there. Oh, they posted a picture. Yeah, him and, tight him end and Scotty. Oregon. Yeah. Yep, him and Scotty out front of uh, Jenny McGinney's about a month ago. <laughs> I love that. Still you there. Know, actually, actually, just yesterday, this was off air, I was talking to Matt about John Ballantyne. And I told Matt that John Ballantyne could kick the ball farther. He was an Australian rules football player uh, trying to make it in the NFL, and he was a punter. He could just absolutely boom it, but uh, Jim Kreiner, the head coach, just would not let him go full throttle and had him do directional kicks and, you know, uh, only kick like 42 yards or so. Do, do you think that it, that that was fair to John Ballantyne? Again, I, I've never seen anybody with a leg like Ballantyne. Yeah, it was pretty crazy, but I mean, there's, you know, you, you've heard the expression, you outkick your coverage. I mean, that, that can definitely happen. So, I mean, unless you're, you're able to outkick that and, and I mean, you know, I think John could probably pretty much do about anything with the hang time he was able to do. I mean, you think about in today's game too, with the rugby style kickers and stuff, I'm sure he's kicking himself that he was born about 20 years too early. And by the way, what what is your favorite memory looking back at uh, your your time in Scotland and NFL Europe? Oh man, just so many of them. I think my favorite memory, though, um, I did get to play St Andrews a couple times. Uh, I was able to play there two days in a row, and I think it was 2000. It was right before the Open Championships, so the grandstands were up and everything. So got to play two days in a row. One day was gorgeous weather, not wind in sight. I shot at 81. Second day, just horrible weather. Shot a 103. What a difference a day makes, literally and figuratively. <laughs> Matt's always great when we catch up. Thank you so much. Absolutely, guys. Thank you have you a great one. Friend. Yep. See you soon. It's, uh, you too. It's uh, it's pretty well, easy to say why you guys became fast and fun friends. Oh, he's 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 so smart. And he can just he can break down things in ways that uh, most players can't, and that's why I sort of I gravitated to Matt right away because he could explain things to me, and then it turned out that we had a lot in common, and we became really close friends. And I, I know it's sort of journalistically like, do you become friends with the people you cover? But this was different because I was embedded there writing a book, and I, I think it was okay. I don't know. I, I've talked to certain uh, journalism ethics professors, and they said I didn't cross the line. But, it depends uh, on the person. It really yeah. does. It depends yeah. on the player because it ultimately all comes down to you know how much give and take they have. Hey, Lars, uh, I am going to bring Terry Bowden and Mike Gundy into the conversation 
when we come back. We'll figure it out. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Just a small chance of a shower this afternoon. Otherwise, the sky partially sunny. Not as hot as recent days. The high 89. For tonight, clear and very pleasant. The low 64. And tomorrow, a sunny day. Not as humid. The high at 88. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 82 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. It is indeed Big Noon Sports. Presented by Haley Sensing Union Home Mortgage. This one's uh, under the fold here, Lars, but I think it's a very interesting story, and it reminded me of one that took place almost 30 years ago. But uh, Mike Gundy, of course, he is, uh, I'm a man, I'm 40. <laughs> That guy, that was a horrible uh, impersonation, but uh, he's not going to call him, cuss me. Um, But he turned 56 this past weekend, and so, you know, he wants to go out and kick it up a little bit. It's his 56th birthday. So he goes to Tulsa to the Luke Bryan concert. He actually gets on the stage and does the cowboy handguns, pow, 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 in the air. Well... You know how fans are, Lars. They're just bombing him. How can you be doing that when, what did uh, Oklahoma State, they did not have a great season last year. Yeah, they're just like, why are you doing this before uh, Central Arkansas? Yes, (laughs) yes. And, you know, that's just when you just say, shut up, people. The guy has a life, you know. Nick Saban will go see the Eagles. But the very same thing happened with a different artist I believe it was 1994 when things started caving in on Terry Bowden down at Auburn. But he left practice. The last of every practice was running and conditioning. Okay, so whistle blows. They stop running plays. They stop hitting dummies. And they just go through their routine of running. Well, Terry Bowden thought, you know what? I could probably skip that part because he was going to catch a little plane real quick, jet, whatever it was, and fly to Birmingham to see James Taylor. Well, word gets out that he left practice early and then he is actually seen at the concert. And what happens? He got Mike Gundy, or maybe Mike Gundy got Terry Bowden. But fans went crazy because he was having a 500 season. And it just, it amazes me. And a lot of this, back then it wasn't. But in the case of Gundy, it's it's social media because all these posts are from anonymous people on Twitter, X, Vision, Tucson, whatever it is these days. But um, I just, I guess I shouldn't let it aggravate me because you just, people shouldn't surprise me anymore. But good grief. Can the guy go have a pizza somewhere? Uh, <laughs> it just, it's ridiculous uh, how fans are. I guess I just have to stop, you know, stop complaining about it and move on. No, uh, I agree. And, you know, it's unfortunate that Mike Gundy is remembered for that really uh, difficult interaction he had with uh, Jenny Carlson, uh, the reporter uh, that he was upset with. And uh, I've talked to Jenny about this many times. And, um, you know, she didn't report anything that was wrong 
but uh, it was about a quarterback who was struggling, and and she happened to see his mom, the quarterback's mom, like kind of feed him a piece of food, like outside the team bus, and she wrote that if if memory serves, and uh, that's what he was so upset about because it was like, all right, you're you're just taking this one scene and kind of belittling the player um but the it's there was uh no issues with accuracy um and by the way jenny is still covering oklahoma state and oklahoma she is uh now that that was 15 years ago yeah yeah and she is now the uh really like the top columnist in in the state of oklahoma and uh just does a, a really terrific job and it, it's amazing that um, that how, how long Gundy has, uh, has has been at Oklahoma State, right? Um, he, uh, God, what year did he start there? Uh, been there. Uh, oh, he six, took six, over. Six, yeah, so he took over in January, January three, two thousand five, and so that actually makes him the second longest tenured coach at his active school in the FBS. He trails only uh, Kirk Ferentz at, at Iowa in terms of years. Uh, I think Kirk has been there 24 years and I don't know how much longer he's going to be able to hold on to that job at Iowa given uh, the gambling scandal that uh, has enveloped oh, yeah. uh, that school and that program. And and just the other day, Ferentz said something to the effect of why is why are they coming after us? We're in Iowa. I mean, you, you can't tell me this isn't going on anywhere else. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Um, really but not a, not but I, I think I, I think Gundy though, he's done a really good job. I agree. He's a good think, yeah. coach. He's, he's a, a really good, coach. good coach, and he's got a, I believe ninety five career wins in the Big Twelve. And that is, ranks fourth in the history of the league, just behind Bob Stoops, Mac Brown, and, and Bill Snyder. I mean, those guys are all sort of legendary all coaches. Favorite. Yeah, they all three of them, absolutely. I mean, Stoops won a national championship at Oklahoma. Brown won a national championship at Texas. And Bill Snyder orchestrated the greatest turnaround in college football history, right? Uh, taking over a K-State team that hadn't won in about 10 decades uh, and, and, and making them into a national championship contender. So he's in real elite company there. Um, I've had a few interactions with uh, with Mike Gundy, and he's always been pleasant. But but again, it's just that that one interaction with Jenny Carlson at that press conference, and also Matt. I, I think the fact that he was attacking—I don't want to say this the wrong way—but the fact that he was attacking a female reporter. Yeah, that had something to do with. It. I think it just that 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 shifted the dynamic in a way that uh, it was sort of hard for people to justify what he had done. And boy, the SID, gosh, if he just if he could have calmed him down before he got up there. I mean, and they just won a game, right? It was after a win. It wasn't after a loss. And uh, he just went on that rant. And uh, unfortunately, that's what everybody remembers but he is a he's a heck of a coach yeah but what i remember is is the, that it was funny 
but evidently a lot of people don't think it was so funny. No, it's, it's, yeah, it, I think it was funny too. Yeah, I, know it was yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's, it was uh, it was a really great guy's brother, heck of a quarterback, Kale Gundy. You remember him? Mm-hmm. OU quarterback. He was on UAB staff for a while. What a good guy. What an athlete. Uh, coming up, John Carbello, a professor at Auburn, talking all things Auburn on Big Noon Sports. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. WTUG HD2 Northport and W265CG Tuscaloosa. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. A Town Square Media Station. More Big Noon Sports coming up. All right. We broke for intermission. And back. This is Big Noon Sports. Justin Jones is at the helm. Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter. And this show is being presented by Haley Sensing Union Home Mortgage. Our next guest is uh, another good friend of mine. Uh, professor John Carvello, who uh, is now actually Professor Emeritus uh, at Auburn, longtime professor at Auburn. And before we get started, John, um, does Professor Emeritus basically mean that you were a really good professor? I've always wondered, like, what the Emeritus title actually means. Well, it seems like Emeritus recognizes long service uh, and 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 then retirement from the school where you're emeritus at but beyond that I gather it's, it's pretty automatic I, I don't know too many with my length of service who, who are not emeritus well uh, and you're still living in Auburn I, I know that you've been what, uh, teaching over in uh, uh, Portugal is that correct yeah, I've been doing a four-week stint at the uh, Catholic University of Portugal. Uh, Pope Francis just visited there last month as part of World Youth Day. And, uh, yeah, and, of course, here and there at Auburn, too. So. Well, thanks again for uh, giving us some of your time. And uh, we have been talking uh, for various reasons about the history of Tumor's Corner and how it got started and you know what we've been trying to nail down in this mystery is who threw the first roll of toilet paper <laughs> i know it's uh it's big time detective work here but uh can you just give us what your understanding is as someone who has taught at the school for a long time you're a graduate of the school uh you've lived there uh and also just why why tumor's corner is so uh special to uh to everyone associated with auburn 
Sure. Well, um, the the history the history people tell us that like even way before early part early 1900s, uh, they used to string ticker uh, uh, tape from the telegraph over the wires at the corner of College and Magnolia, center of downtown, Dumer's Corner, Dumer's Drugs is there. And uh, that would give sports results. You know, back then, that's how they got sports results. Uh, wasn't much radio, uh, especially of college football. We have local college football. Uh, actually, uh, sports bars at the time used to have telegraph machines. Uh, and that was how they gave uh, baseball scores. They could, they could keep up with baseball scores, believe it or not. That was the, yeah. the uh, early sports bars that, that are now full of TVs. So... Um, David Housel puts the, the, the toilet paper aspect of it in uh, 1972 when the Bama-Punt um, the game happened. And um, Jerry Henley is quoted as saying, uh, we beat the number two out of Alabama. And so people brought uh, toilet paper. And, and that was probably the first massive celebration at Tumor's Corner was November of 1972. When I got there uh, in 1974, it was happening. I guess it had really started in earnest a couple of years before. Professor, who cleans that up? Good question, and it's amazing to watch because the city cleans it up. And Matt, you know how they clean it up? Uh, With, do they um, light it? Hoses. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> we'll, come, hey, we'll come to that story. Um, okay. No, uh, and actually, if I can tell you the truth, um, I do remember when I was uh, at Auburn, we would go to the middle of the corner because it had the wires going back and forth, you know, before all the wires were on the ground, and we would do over the wires. And, yeah, I mean, someone would actually at some point light them yeah. Uh, I guess it was much safer to do it there uh, over wires. And that was kind of the end of the, the Tumor's Corner time. It'd be the fire and we'd all leave. But um, if you go to Tumor's Corner on a Sunday morning, you will see city workers using hoses. They'll hose down the trees. Hmm. The the, uh, the the toilet paper will come down. And then they'll just gather up the wet wads of toilet paper. Seems like that'd make it worse. Um, doesn't in in my limited hard. knowledge of toilet paper in people's yards, I know that when it <laughs> rained, it was horrible. <laughs> right, right. But otherwise, what are you going to do? You know, uh, I think it would take forever if they were, if they were trying to go, you know, strand by strand. So yeah, they just wet it all down. It comes down, and they 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 rake it up. And when the trees were poisoned. Just again, from someone who is uh, who loves Auburn as much as anyone, uh, just how significant was that to the Auburn community? I want to tell you, Lars. You know, both you and I are journalism professors, and it just so happened that in January of 2011, I was taking my turn as advisor to the Auburn Plainsman, and. I'd be there, it was a weekly, it would come out on Thursday, so I'd be there on Wednesday afternoon. And as a rule, 
I would not look at the paper until it came out. But when that happened, it was like the the school newspaper office because the, the the confirmation came out on Wednesday that the trees had been poisoned. It was like uh, a morgue in the plainsman office. There was just this. I mean, I, I think even before then, what uh, Harvey Uptight had said was kind of known but the thought to be trash talk. But when it was that the ground had been poisoned. It was really a depressing, dark day uh, for the Auburn, Auburn community. And, and I experienced it in the, in the school newspaper office. Wow. Um, it's, it, it's, I think there were a lot of Alabama fans that were down about it, too. I mean, you know, you know, yeah. don't mess with somebody's tradition, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I think, on the one hand, that, that was a good gut check for both fan groups. I mean, obviously, for Alabama, it was pretty bad. For Auburn, there was a time where I was lashing out and, and, and you know, on, on Facebook saying things about, let's just end everything with Alabama, let's just, you know. But, um, yeah, and, and there, there were definitely people who, who some got, uh, shall we say, uh, toxic cred from from uh, messing with it and, and taunting about it. But I, I think a lot of people were uh, a, a little horrified. I mean, they were just horrified by, by the fact that so much poison had been pumped into the ground that um, fans would walk their dogs on the ground worried about them, you know. And they didn't know how poisoned it was. Or or when it had rained, how much it had seeped to the, the, the top. So it was, it was a pretty time with a lot of questions. And I will tell you, I went to um, a press conference that was done in front of Stanford Hall, and um, the uh, the forestry professor, Jeremy uh, uh, Eva, I think was was just so visibly upset about it. You know, it was it, it was pretty pretty depressing. John, uh, like myself, uh, you teach sports journalism. We've uh, spoken to each other's classes multiple times, uh, and you have your, uh, you know, your finger on the pulse of, of Auburn athletics and in uh, in how the people of Auburn feel about Auburn athletics. Um, what is your assessment of how Hugh Freeze has acquitted himself uh, since he was hired in, uh, I think, j- uh, early January, late December, and uh, up to now? Uh, I'll say two things about them, because one of them I blogged about. Um, the first thing is, I mean, the standing joke is, is, and I'm sure you've heard it, is comparing the recruiting under Brian Harson with the recruiting under Hugh Freeze. Uh, it, it actually is day and night. I think the the verdict on Harson is that he actually thought he could coach up players to compete at an SEC level, which when you think about the coaches who coach at the SEC, that, that's that's a pretty pretty shaky assumption. So I think uh, at the outset, Freeze's, um, Freeze's recruiting and, and then his coaching um, has got, got folks feeling a little more um, 
optimistic. And you compare it to 2012 to 2013 when uh, Gus Malzahn replaced King Kissinger. And there was, there was really not that optimism. We really thought that the cupboard was there. Uh, it, it turned out the players responded to Gus. But, but this time, you really had to bring the players in, and he has. Um, on another level, I do think, um, you know, there was concern about you and, and some things that happened at Liberty. And I think that the university's handling of the Jarquez Hunter case, where it was not just quickly, uh, quickly ended and he was returned to the team and there's nothing to see here, folks, but instead there, there uh, appears to be an ongoing, uh, investigation also has us um, kind of assured that uh, things, things won't be handled like they were at Liberty. Professor, can can you take that topic, the Hunter deal, the uh, alleged videos, and all that? Is there anything to add to that since he's returned to uh, you know he's returned to the practice field? Well, the only thing because uh, it, it seems to be. Uh, a Title IX related or or internal investigation. So so little is being said. Um, I think I don't want to be too flippant. I think when it first happened, it was the uh, the cause of a lot of jokes. It just seemed kind of foolish. And it was, but um, I think what the university is saying is there were some serious things there that have to be investigated. We just haven't heard. Any um, any outcome of it in, in any sense? Often you don't. Often um, that they they retain the privacy of it, and you just have to infer. And inferring is always uh, dangerous. But uh, we really haven't heard a lot of specifics coming out on that. John, in your estimation, uh, generally speaking. Are all the changes that are going on in college football with NIL, with transfer portal, with conference realignment, is it good or bad for the sport in general? I've always been an advocate for paying the players. Um, the whole idea of paying athletes, I mean, you're talking, again, you know, I'm, I'm a sports media historian. Back in the early 1900s, the idea of like, paid baseball players to play a game seemed immoral or, or, or somehow wrong. Um, and even when, when, when in the 60s the players began to strike, you know, even then, I was a teenager and I was, or by the 70s, and I was saying, you know, the same thing goes with college football. In, in baseball, I didn't go to watch the owner's own. I went to watch the players play. And so, especially as college football through the uh, the, the emergence of broadcasting on cable and the way that the laws change to allow, to, to loosen the NCAA's grip and allow uh, more and more games to be shown. It's so much more money. Um, I, was, I was glad to see the, the athletes get it in some way. So NIL uh, really hasn't bothered me. I, I, I think uh, the players are getting a benefit. I will say, and I, I think, I don't know if y'all agree with me, I think this conference realignment thing is definitely the tail wagging the dog. When you think about, I know, I mean, I'm in my 60s. When you think about the spirit, the regional spirit of conferences like the SEC in the uh, 
in the Southeast, the Big Ten in the Midwest and East, and the ACC in the Mid-Atlantic, Big 12 in, in the Midwest, Pac-12, um, and how that's just been blown up to create what seems like sports content production uh, sites, I think we've really lost them. And, and it's sad. It's reality. Reality is often sad. But yeah, I'm, I'm so sorry to, to, to see that go and to see like UCLA and USC in the Big Ten. You know, it, it just definitely loses something from the days of, uh, of Woody Hayes and Bo Schembechler, you know? Yeah, uh, I really do. Um, You've been excellent guests, and I appreciate it. We'll have to do this again sometime and really get into the sports journalism. But why don't you take just a minute before we let you go and tell us who's going to be the starting quarterback at Auburn, who's going to be the starting quarterback <laughs> at Alabama? <laughs> well, all I'll say is this. Um, you know, in 2013, when Gus started, then they had what was the final rolling of the trees that had been poisoned. They decided they weren't going to come back. This huge event. You have an interesting parallel here with the fact that the university, after the trees were, were torched following the LSU game in 2016, um, finally letting them, letting them be rolled again. So it, it, it's interesting to close where we began with Schumer's uh, Corn and, and what it represents. And it's just kind of interesting that maybe some more excitement is being placed there as as we we go in um i am a notoriously bad film watcher uh those things um i I just i'm a reporter but um i'm looking forward to seeing the players who are are going to be out there today or, or i'm sorry this coming season even though a lot of it is going to be me and the fans around me saying who are these people you know who, who, let's catch up with the names you know and the uh, last question for you, John, real quick. Um, Peyton Manning is going to be teaching in the College of Information Sciences at uh, Tennessee and uh, teaching journalism. Uh, what advice would you give Peyton Manning before he enters the classroom the first time? I always give every first-time instructor the same encouragement, and it's you've been hired because you know more than your students do. Start from there. You have something to share with them. You'll learn the techniques. You'll learn the tools. And, and Lars, wasn't wasn't your first time teaching? Wasn't it a learning experience? All the 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 the, 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 the logistics that you have to go through. Oh yeah. Um, oh man, it's just like wow. That, that, you know, being on the other side is different. But uh, yeah, and I think obviously when you're dealing with Peyton Manning. You know, you know more than the students. He has a lot to draw from, and and I think he'll be. A, he's a gifted communicator, so yes. I think I think they'll do a uh, a great job. Hey, let's, yeah. let's get Charles Barkley. Like let's get Charles Barkley. I'm sorry. You, Can I say something? Would you like to sit in on one of his classes? I was oh, going to yeah. say let's get Charles Barkley to teach a class at Auburn. Although okay. um, <laughs> Charles, Charles, you know, says things about. Uh, 
you know what I mean. Maybe that maybe I said that one too quickly. He'd be a great guest. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I've uh, had many former athletes talk to the class because I want to hear from the athletes of what it's like to be interviewed. What makes a good interviewer? What makes a bad interviewer? Uh, what makes you open up to somebody? What makes you close somebody off? You know, there's and there's so much that that Peyton can offer just in, in that domain of the art of the interview, and uh, and uh, to students that he has such a unique perspective on. And um, yeah, I, I would love to be a fly in the wall on in his classes for sure, Matt. Yep. Um... I would too. Either one of them. Maybe Barkley and Peyton Manning should have a class together. Uh, I, th- I think. I think John. There you, you should, go. Uh, John, you should recruit Charles, and uh, you could uh, team. You could team teach it with him. You know, Charles' statement to people is: go to class. Be sure you go to class. And they'll say, Charles, you didn't go to class, and he'll say, I didn't have to go to class, but you do. <laughs> <laughs> do as I say, not it's as I do. Accurate. It's as accurate as yeah. it is. Uh, hey, great he goes, stuff. You got that, Jim. Hey, <laughs> let's do this again real soon, John. Thank you for your time. Anytime. I love any issues you'd like to talk about. I, I've enjoyed the time as well. Thank you, John. Appreciate it, buddy. Uh, Good talking to you, go, Lars. Good talking to you, Bob. Oh, thank you, sir. Uh, Professor Emeritus at Auburn, John Carvello. Um, let's see, Lars. Uh, here's something. Coming up, take one of the most heartwarming, kindest, feel-good stories in the world and set it on fire. We'll talk about that when we get back. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Just a small chance of a shower this afternoon. Otherwise, the sky partially sunny. Not as hot as recent days. The high 89. For tonight, clear and very pleasant. The low 64. And tomorrow, a sunny day. Not as humid. The high at 88. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 85 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Back on Big Noon Sports. In the last 40 minutes of this show, we're going to open up the phone lines and tear it up. Call us. Tell us who's going to be the starting quarterback in Alabama, please, at 205-342-9904. Also, you can follow us on Twitter, Big News Sports, at Big News Sports. And um, website's still up, and that's another way you can uh, listen to the show. Just click on listen there, bignoonsports.com. Lars, I, I'm a, kind of a sentimental type person, especially when it comes to really good films. When Blindside came out, I just, I, I love the story. I had interviewed Michael Orr, like, the, the season before that it came out, actually his senior year, it came out when he was well into his professional career. But anyway, it was a great feel-good story uh, about the Tuies, and everybody knows the story. I'm not going to go into the details of that. But over the last couple of months, Orr has come forward and said that a lot of the story is bogus in the film. Now he's saying he was really never adopted. Now the Tuies are saying that's a bunch of baloney. Wow, 
let's take a really good story and make us all think differently about it. I don't like this at all. Um, but, God, why, why are they backbiting? I mean, I, maybe the Tuies are just defending themselves. But um, did you like the film, first of all? Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, that's um, Hugh Freeze, so, isn't it? So, yeah, and, and Nick Sa- Nick Saban's in it as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, Sandra Bullock won an Oscar, um, and the film earned more than three hundred million. And um, yeah, okay. So my first reaction is, why is Michael Orr saying this now? Mine uh, too. Okay, uh, and. As we know, like uh, the the film is all about him being adopted out of uh, poverty by this uh, wealthy white family, right? And uh, uh, the Tuies. Is that is that how you say it? The Tuies? Yeah. Okay. And so now what Michael Orr is saying, as as you uh, as you mentioned, Matt, is that um, and he's alleging this in a uh, 14 page petition that was filed in Shelby County Probate Court that um, that uh, that he won he was never adopted as he said and um, it said that the couple uh, tricked him into signing a document making them his conservators which gave them legal authority to make business deals in his name. And then it goes on to allege uh, this petition that the Tuies used their power as conservators to strike a deal that paid their two uh, natural, the two children that they had, right, by birth, uh, millions of dollars in royalties from the film, again, which earned 300 million, while Michael Orr got nothing. Uh, and uh, so, um, and in the years since, uh, the Tuies the, 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 uh, have uh, continued to call Michael Orr their adopted son, and they've continued to assert that uh, to promote their foundation, as well as Leanne Tui, who is played by Sandra Bullock in the film, uh, as well as uh, to, to uh, promote her work as an author and motivational speaker. So, um, you know, the, the, the Tuies have responded just saying that they're devastated and, and, uh, they're, that they love Michael and, uh, they love him at 37, his, his age now, just like they loved him when he was 16. Um, but, uh, these are, troubling accusations you know and also uh one thing that i've i've found uh particularly troubling and this will be this has got to be in documents and should be able to uh, either verify or disprove and then is that the the movie paid the twoies and their two birth children each two hundred and twenty five thousand dollars up front Right. And uh, plus then uh, after the film came out, they each got two point five percent of the film's uh, net proceeds, whereas uh, 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 Michael Orr got nothing from it. So uh, and, and, and apparently there is a contract out there. Uh, that, that Michael Orr signed, but he says he doesn't have any recollection of it. 
Um, and it was never, if he did sign it, it was never explained to him. Um, so uh, I don't know. I, I hate it when you're right. This is a, this was a warm, uh, wonderful, beautiful story. Um, again, that first came to light in Michael Lewis's, uh, the book, The Blind Side, which is a fabulous read, by the way. But um, it's now taken a, a turn that uh, I certainly didn't expect, and I doubt you did either, Matt. No, um, I do remember uh, Michael Orr was just this big, lovable guy, even when I talked to him. Uh, but I, I, what you said at the very beginning is exactly where I was going. Why are we just fine about this now? Anyway, there are a lot of ties to this story that actually come back to Birmingham. And you may not know this. I got a fact on Sean Tui that you might not know either. We'll discuss that on the other side of the break. It's Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sensing, Union Home Mortgage. Hey, this is Reagan, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa. Located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to R&R and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. Back on Big Noon Sports, Matt Lars, Justin, the gang is here. We're talking about blindside and how it's been blindsided itself. But um, I'll throw a couple of things at you, Lars, that you probably didn't know. Who is the all-time assist leader in SEC basketball? All-time assist leader in it's, SEC basketball. It's a big, basketball. tough question, even if it weren't related to our topic here. Uh, it's not. My yeah, I, I don't know. Sean Tui, the guy that oh. was in the film. <laughs> okay. And, and almost by 100 over, I think it was Kareem Reed or somebody like that. But uh, And that's a record that he set 79 and 80 and 81 right back then. And it, wow. it's still there. He has 830, and I think the second one has 739. Uh, but it's it's a great record to hold. But Sean Tui went on to be an extremely successful businessman, and you can see that in the film. Uh, by the way, in the film, he was played by Tim McGraw. Is that right? Uh, I, I can't recall. It, it was a country music That is guy. right, Matt. Tim yeah. McGraw. Okay. Tim McGraw. But... Uh, you know, Justin, you t- do you know how he made all his money? I'm pretty sure this is a fact. If I'm not mistaken, he owned a bunch of Taco Bells? You're so, right? You are correct, <laughs> sir. Wow. And I mean, I'm talking like he owned uh, 150, 200, something like that. Just incredible. So a very good businessman. And some of the facts and figures you just gave us, Lars, about making money from the movie, apparently he was pretty savvy there, too. But. Um, one other note, and uh, then we'll go to the phones at 205-342-9904. Sandra Bullock um, isn't seen, I don't think, very often, but she does visit Birmingham. Um, 
and I'm, I, I hope all is, is still well with her family members. Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen a, either one of the Bullocks. Her, uh, her father and uh, uncle both live here. Um, Jess Bullock at one time owned a very, very successful ad marketing agent, uh, agency. Um, it, was, uh, it was fun to sit down and talk to them. I tried like hell to get her phone number, and they never would give it to me. But um, <laughs> Sandra Bullock uh, does have a tie to, uh, to Alabama. And another thing they told me when I was talking with them, she will not do anything over or under, however you view it, a, a PG movie. She hasn't and never will. And she recently lost her husband, too. I've just always thought she was just a, a very classy lady. Not to mention the fact that she was a really good actress. Uh, still is. But anyway, all right. We, I have taken the blind side and blown it up. So. <laughs> well, um, here's another really, uh, this is an even sadder story. Uh, Alex Collins, who uh, you remember, Matt, because he, he was a running back, a terrific running back uh, for your piggies at uh, Arkansas. Um, he uh, he was killed in a motorcycle crash in South Florida uh, uh, yesterday, late uh, afternoon yesterday, um, and he's uh, 28 years old. He was he was driving a, a, his motorcycle uh, and crashed into a, a sports utility vehicle. Excuse me, this was Sunday night uh, in uh, Lauderdale Lakes, Florida. Uh, the SUV was making a left turn when Collins's motorcycle hit his uh, hit the uh, right uh, rear uh, passenger side um, and uh, the impact uh, sadly caused Collins to go through the window of the SUV uh. and came to arrest inside the vehicle um, and this this got me thinking about uh, about uh, Alex Collins and uh, he was involved in really one of the most memorable plays that uh, I think I've ever seen. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's right up there. Uh, and this was in uh, 2015. Arkansas was playing at Mississippi. The Razorbacks were down seven in overtime and faced a fourth and 25. Right, and uh, Brandon Allen's pass was uh, complete to Hunter Henry, and Brandon Allen is uh, still in the NFL. He was a backup for the Bengals last year. Hunter Henry is still in the NFL, so he completes a pass to Hunter Henry, Hunter Henry, who is about to be tackled near the sideline, and he was well short of uh, of getting the first down. And Henry was desperate to do something, so he just flings the ball backward toward the middle of the field. And the ball bounced to Collins, who took off toward the other sideline and got the first down. And Arkansas eventually wins the game, fifty-three to fifty-two. I mean, it was just a—it was just an, an incredible play. And then uh, he went on to play three seasons for the Seahawks and, and two for the Ravens. And uh, he had a really good season for Baltimore in 2017, rushing for 973 yards. Um, he was a, a fifth-round pick by the Seahawks in 2016. And um, I think it was, uh, gosh, one of his former teammates. I can't remember who it was. Oh, uh, Russell Wilson. 
he said it was he, that Russell Wilson described him as one of his all-time favorite teammates when they were in Seattle together, and uh, and and you know he uh, Alex Collins had a great career at Arkansas, he rushed for a thousand yards three straight years. Uh, in his junior season, he scored 20 touchdowns. Uh, to this day, he's just one of five players in SEC history to rush for 1,000 yards three straight years, along with uh, Herschel Walker, Kevin Falk, Darren McFadden, and Benny Snell Jr. And what, what's what even sort of, uh, I don't know if it makes it even worse, but when looking back, that Arkansas team, the quarterback was Ryan Mallett, and uh, and um, he was also a backup for. The, I, I don't know. Actually, I'm not sure if they're on the same team or not at Arkansas. But they played together with the Ravens. And and as we both know, Matt, that, that Ryan passed away earlier this summer when he drowned in June while swimming with his girlfriend in Florida. And uh, it's just a, a, a sad story. You just you, you hate it when young lives are, are uh, extinguished way too early. And uh, by all accounts, I, I never had any interaction with Alex Collins, but by all accounts, just a, a really good young man. Yeah, it is a tragic story. And you know, even more so, the what happened, you know? You end up inside the vehicle in which you hit or it hit you, whatever the case may be. I'm, I'm not going to yeah. argue X's and O's on that. But it's got to be pretty traumatizing to the people that were in that vehicle. Yeah. Uh, I mean, anyway, uh, God bless. Prayers to them. Well, you just uh, mentioned a running back that I really thought would have been better at the NFL level. But I remember watching Darren McFadden. And thinking, oh, yeah. This is... This guy's just barely below Herschel and Bo. Um, in fact, what he reminded me of, he reminded me of O.J. Simpson. But And he played with the Raiders. I mean, what did he play, eight years in the NFL, something like that? Yeah. But I always he, he thought a, he was going to throw yeah. up some pretty staggering numbers. Yeah, I, I did too. And uh, for whatever reason, it, it just didn't really work out for him uh, in terms of becoming a, a huge star. I mean, I know he was drafted early in the first round. Um, and yeah, I, I never had any interaction with him either. And also on that list, right, of uh, the five players to rush for 1,000 yards in the SEC uh, three straight years, Kevin Falk. He went on to, and I loved watching Kevin Falk at LSU. Oh man, he he was electrifying, and you know he was undersized, uh, but uh, he went on to have a a terrific career. I thought in the NFL, especially when uh, he was with the Patriots, and and kind of being that third down back, and uh, just uh, just uh, did uh, was so much fun to watch. so, yeah, but just uh, you know, so it's a it's a it's a tough story. Uh, just hearing about Alex Collins and when I uh, finally when I read about it this morning, I just wanted I made a note that I, I wanted to bring it up on the show because yeah. because he for a long time he was a very uh, significant figure in the SEC. He was indeed. Um, I want you to go back over that list when we get back. I want to know the other guys that had 
was it three 1,000-yard seasons? Three in a row, yeah. Man. Herschel Walker, Kevin Falk, McFadden, and Benny Snell Jr. Wow. Uh, that's a pretty high cut. They never said that in Nebraska, did they? You're listening uh, to Big no. Sports. I still don't really know what it means. Corn. What does oh. it mean? Plenty I always thought it was like, oh, he's high cotton. It's like yeah. tickling your, you know, you're, your uh, you're in the upper, uh, no. <laughs> you're in the upper echelon if you're uh, walking in high cotton. That's okay. All right. Um, when we get back, I'm going to find something else that made me angry. All right. I'm really. <laughs> be back in a minute. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Just a small chance of a shower this afternoon, otherwise the sky partially sunny. Not as hot as recent days, the high 89. For tonight, clear and very pleasant, the low 64. And tomorrow, a sunny day. Not as humid, the high at 88. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 85 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Justin, Matt, Lars, gang is here. Got uh, just a few more minutes here in case you want to squeeze in a phone call. 205 205- Three four two nine nine zero four. Hey Matt, I, I got to tell you just real quick. Yeah, I just came up with my lock of the year, absolute lock of the year. Does it have I to just, do with uh, Joe Burrow? No, no, okay. it doesn't. It has to do with Quinn Ewers, our, our guy uh, at, yeah. at Texas, uh, the the quarterback. So he's just been named to the Manning Award watch list. Why is he a lock to win it? Um, because he plays with Arch? Exactly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. He's got to be the favorite now. Yeah, I would think so. I just It's almost up, like, right? uh, yeah, I don't, there, there could be a, I don't know. God, what an athlete. Are they the most athletic family in our history? Uh I mean, that's a good one. We'll deep dive. We'll, we'll they're go definitely the the first family of football. No, no yeah. question about it. Yeah, and it, um, it's one of your books, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh. It's one of my it's one of my favorites. i uh, We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and it reared its ugly head again at the the women's open. Um, this is the final round. They're on the seventeenth hole. And these three people run out onto the green carrying flares. One was, I think, pink. Another one was green. And they just start running around. Now, police grab these people up in a hurry. You know, I'm all for you having your opinion. 
and your right to protest when appropriate. But when is somebody just going to knock the hell out of one of those people? And here's what's great is the way <coughs> Charlie Hull uh, responded. She ended up finishing second. But they, uh, her quote was, what a bunch of idiots. And then it even gets better and actually sad for a minute. She said, I suffer from asthma, but didn't have my inhaler on me. And that stuff was really thick. So, no, it was not nice. She said if she was scared when it happened, just thought they were idiots. Someone said they're protesting about oil. But how did they get here today? They probably drove. God. Charlie <laughs> Hall is my new hero. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this group uh, called Just Stop Oil, been, they've been protesting throughout the U.K. all summer. Uh, you know, I don't even know why I'm giving them time here, but uh, to stop the British government from expanding new oil and fossil fuel projects. And um, it, it really created this bizarre scene. Uh, I don't know if you were watching it, but ran onto the 17th green at uh, Walton, Walton Heath Golf Club uh, just outside of London right before the final group reached the putting surface. And then when the protesters got onto the green, they lit up colored smoke flares of uh, red, yellow, uh, green. And, and uh, you know, the golfers, they, they hustled away. And, um, and then uh, uh, Leela Vu, right, after she won, she was just like, I didn't know why they're on the green, but I just didn't want them to step on my putting line. <laughs> She's like, I don't care. Like, I don't care. Like, I mean, talk about focus, right? Like, she doesn't care about what's going on. All she cares about is, hey, don't step on my line. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so five, 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 five people were arrested. Five, five idiots, like Charlie Old said, but. Um, Anyway, uh, other news as we wrap up the show, uh, I found this very interesting. Missouri has nabbed a five-star defensive lineman by the name of Williams Wannery. I think they spelled N-W-A-N-E-R-I. Five-star recruit to Missouri. Okay, now, and Lars, you, you can, next time you see me, you can punch me. Um, he is the second highest recruit in the history of Missouri Tigers football. Hmm. Who's first? And I don't know. I oh, don't know. I think I know. Uh, it's a running back out of the state of Missouri. And I can't remember. Um, and I, You're quick with the keypad. Yeah. Uh, probably <laughs> and I was really disappointed that this story was written, and they said it's the second most um, yeah. recruited, and, but then they never tell you who's first. Well, that's the thing. That, the hey, that, that's that. journalism 101. Uh, it's, it's, if you're going to say the second most in anything, you got to put in parentheses so-and-so was number one. Yeah. Because it just it begs the question and I'm, it, it I'm screams the question. I'm pulled up here, guys. It, is it Doriel Green Beckham? He was a receiver oh, in 2012. Yeah, DGB. I did a. I did a. Yes, that's who I meant. Yeah, Doriel Green Beckham. Uh, 
Well, no, I did a uh, a long form piece on him for Bleacher Report, and uh, he just was this amazing, amazing athlete. And like Michael Orr, he was adopted by a uh, a, a white family, and um, and they they helped him and tried to do everything for him and. Uh, it, it just it didn't work out for uh, Doriel in the in the NFL, but um, I, yeah, and I, I, I spent I went to it was the first time I'd ever been to St. Louis, and uh, that's where he was training uh, leading up to the draft, and uh, and spent uh, like I said like he just um, I followed I shattered him to different workouts and. Just a, a, a physical freak. I mean, like six foot five, lanky, could run, I think, under like a four four, right about a four four, and uh, just didn't pan out in, in the NFL. Yeah, Doriel Green Beckham. Uh, and I think he might be even like the highest wide receiver ranked in recruiting history or something like that. But wow. anyway. Um, More than his cousin? Odell? I don't know that they're. Uh, <laughs> Lars, did you like. I love St. Louis. Uh, spent some time there. Did you go up in the arch? I did. I did. Uh, and I loved it. And I, I, I walked along uh, the, uh, the the Mighty Mo, or the, I'm sorry, the Mississippi River. I, is, yeah. it, is the Mississippi River Mighty Mo, or is that the Missouri River? I don't know. Uh, but yeah. I know they say uh, Mighty Mississippi, but I don't know about Mighty Mo. Have you ever had. Okay, so. I have a friend who's from St. Louis, and she told me to go uh, to a certain restaurant. It's sort of up on the bluff there in St. Louis to have a toasted ravioli. Have you ever had toasted rav? No, um, have you heard of it? And that may be why, but I've never <laughs> been there. Oh, man. It was so good. It was so um, good. Mike St. Shannon, Louis is a fun town. Yeah, it's a great. Mike Shannon was an outstanding third baseman for the Cardinals back in the 60s and the 70s. And he had a restaurant, um, a driver and a three-wood away from the arts. It was just fantastic. But, man, the arts just scared me because I was already afraid of heights. But the way it is, if you've been to the top of it, by the way, those are funky little pods they take you up in there, right? Yeah, yes. Uh, but, I mean, like only three people can get in them. But um, they have... The, the glass area where you can look out, where you can not just look out and, and see the beautiful city of St. Louis, but you can also look straight down. And I really, I, I really thought I was uh, going to meet my maker. I just stood in the very back and let everybody else watch and then waited for the pod to go down. Because there's something about being able to look forward out, but when you can look down and see directly below your feet, that, that that just scared me. Okay, something, enough about St. Louis. Something uh, similar to that, Matt, if I can. Have y'all ever done the, the Grand Canyon, the, the skywalk, where you can look straight down through the glass? No. No. You would, you would have to literally drug me. <laughs> uh, because I, I would not do that willingly. And I've seen people do it. But, uh, like, no, can't do that. All right, uh, join in. We're going to wrap the show up with True Opinions from guys that love golf, okay? If you watched the FedEx in Memphis, it was hot and humid. And some of the players were wearing black. So said, what are you doing? Anyway, um, 
the eventual winner was he, and he won in a playoff. I might have to flip through here and find it again, but uh, he was wearing a pair of khakis and he was sweating through them. Oh, I saw that. Did yeah, you see that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it was. On, on I, social media, I just saw like somebody said, uh, "This is what I look like after I win a, uh, a hot wings eating contest." <laughs> I mean, he was just slathered in sweat. <laughs> he absolutely, um, he was, but he held on to one in a playoff um, to win his second tournament here. in a row too uh, against Patrick Cantlay, Lucas Glover. Yeah, and he beat yeah. Patrick Cantlay. Um, our guy. But, okay, here's the question <laughs> before I run out of time. Yeah, I don't really love playing behind that guy. Um, <laughs> should PGA Tour golfers be allowed to wear shorts? Lars? No. What about you, Justin? Come on. Yeah, of course they should be allowed to wear shorts. They're going to have a heat stroke out there. Uh, in I believe Lars. in tradition. tradition. Lars is the Ben Hogan of this show. Yeah, and you know what? I like to wear black. I wear black all the time on the golf course. I don't care how hot it is. I, uh, I, I'm not a huge believer that if you're wearing black, it's actually going to make you hotter than if you're wearing white. It's a just, matter of actual fact. Is it? Oh, absolutely. White reflects, black absorbs. Do a little science here, Lars. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, so, Gary Player. So, you're the Gary Player. Yes. Because uh, Player always seemed to be wearing black. And Mick- Mickelson, he uh, he likes yeah. to go black on black. Yeah. Um, it's a hey, sharp I'm look. Hey, you, Justin. Uh, I prefer... Well, that's what they're... Hey, maybe you guys should, uh, go, you know, join the live tour. They're all wearing hey, shorts. if they'll pay me for it, I'll go do it. <laughs> <laughs> 200 uh, million, you're in? Hey, we got to go. We'll be back in 22 hours. Thanks, guys. The biannual blowout is 